Hello and welcome to the Cafe Bitcoin podcast, brought to you by Swan Bitcoin, the best way to buy and learn about Bitcoin. I'm your host, Alex Danzig, and we're excited to announce that we're bringing the Cafe Bitcoin conversation from Twitter Spaces to you on this show, the Cafe Bitcoin podcast, Monday through Friday, every week. Join us as we speak to guests like Michael Saylor, Lynn Alden, Corey Clipston, Greg Foss, Tomer Strolight, and many others in the Bitcoin space. Also, be sure to hit that subscribe button. Make sure you get notifications when we launch a new episode. You can join us live on Twitter Spaces Monday through Friday, starting at 7 a.m. Pacific and 10 a.m. Eastern every morning to become part of the conversation yourself. Thanks again. We look forward to bringing you the best Bitcoin content daily here on the Cafe Bitcoin Podcast. Hello, my friends. Welcome to Cafe Bitcoin. On this glorious day of Wednesday, January 17th, 2024, we've got an incredible show for you today. I want to start off by asking everybody, if you enjoy this show, please follow Swan on Twitter. Check us out on YouTube. We've got amazing content that we're putting out every day, and we appreciate it. We're going to start off, we're going to go through some news. We've got a bunch of awesome guests coming up. And then we have Adam Swick from Marathon towards the end to jump in and tell us about the recent announcement that they have made. Um, how's everybody doing? Jacob, Terrence. It's CP. Enjoying, well. enjoying the, uh, the Jamie Dimon narrative. Enjoying. I so know. <laughs> That fucking guy, he is so salty. If you all haven't seen this clip, let's just start off the show with this clip. It's absolutely hilarious. Jamie Dimon being interviewed and just so pissed about being asked about Bitcoin. Jacob, you want to roll that clip? I mean, This is the last time I've ever talked about this in CNBC, okay? So help me God. <laughs> Blockchain is real. It's a technology. We use it. It's going to move money. It's going to move data. It's efficient. We've been talking about that for 12 years, too, and it's very small. Okay, so I think we've Ooh. wasted too many words in that. Cryptocurrencies, there are two types. There's a cryptocurrency which might actually do something. Think of a cryptocurrency as an embedded smart contract right. in it, and that we can use it to buy and sell real estate to move data. That may have value. The idea of tokenizing. Yeah, tokenizing things right. that, that you do something with. And then there's one which does nothing. I call it the pet rock, the Bitcoin or something like that. And on the Bitcoin, God. there's, first of all, and I'm not trying to make a joke here. There are use cases, AML, fraud, anti-money laundering, tax avoidance, sex trafficking. Those are real use cases. And you see it being used for hundreds, maybe 50, 100 billion dollars right. a year for that. That is the end use case. Everything else is people train among themselves. Yes. Yeah. Now, okay. Now, my last statement, the last time I ever talked about Bitcoin is I defend your right to do Bitcoin. I think it's okay. okay. I don't want to tell you what to do. So my personal advice would be don't get involved. But I don't want to tell any one of you what to do. It's a free country. What do you, make, so of, what do you make of BlackRock? Why, what do you make of the other firms, the BlackRocks of the world that obviously, and, and Larry Fink changed his view of this, obviously. Yeah. And maybe he changed his view because you think he genuinely believes in Bitcoin or, genu or believed it because he thinks that there's a marketplace for it and he wants to be part of that market. But what do you think of the, I mean, there's a, about a dozen big financial companies Fidelity included. Number one, I don't care. 
So just please stop talking about this shit. And, and I don't know what he would say about blockchain versus currencies that do something versus Bitcoin that does right, nothing. Right, enough, maybe Cut that's not mic. different Cut than me. This is what makes this fucking guy. Yeah, man, he is just so salty. I love it. I love it. He cannot. Everybody asks him about it constantly. And yeah, he's, he, he drives me crazy. What do you guys think? It's it's unbelievable. His company that they're a market maker. They're an authorized participant for at least one of the ETFs, if not more. And you can tell by the way he's talking, the language he's using. He he hasn't done even ten minutes of research on this. You guys can do the Bitcoin, and Bitcoin's only used for criminals. It's just look at the cash. Look at all the fees that you, Jamie Dimon, have had to pay for your company for money laundering and sex trafficking. I don't know. It's just hard to know what to say. And the the funny thing about that clip, if you guys have seen the visuals, it is looking at Joe Kernan sitting off to the left, just like clenching his fist and his jaw. He wants to speak so badly. Yeah, because he's a full-blown maxi, right? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, it's a panel of four of them, and he's just over there making like a constipated face. It's Yeah, I will say, Jamie Dimon is not a stupid man. So I have to believe that he is fully briefed on Bitcoin and understands it at least enough to potentially support it. But I suspect that his business interests, he's put himself into a situation where either for political reasons or for business reasons, he has to continue to pretend that he doesn't understand it. Yeah, it it must be such a high level that we can't see in in politics or finance because to me, if once you understand Bitcoin, regardless of where you are in the world, your view changes. There's no way you can speak like Jamie Dimon is speaking if you really understand Bitcoin. There's just no way. Maybe he just yeah. likes cheap sats. <laughs> yeah, that could be. He's just, he's just trying to drive down the price. No, I don't think so. Anyway, all right, we've got a lot, ton of stuff to go over. The next thing I want to talk about is this clip that we have of Ursula Khan Derleyan at Davos shitting all over free speech and just promoting these Malthusian fear spells to try to get everybody to get on board with heavy censorship and strict control of social media. It is extremely dystopian, but I think it's really important that we are talking about it, especially in the Bitcoin community, especially in a community that is privacy and free speech focused. So I want us to play it and then we'll dive in and pull that apart as well. Dear Klaus, let me go back to the number one concern of the Global Risk Report. Disinformation and misinformation. Tackling this has been our focus since the very beginning of my mandate. With our Digital Services Act, we defined the responsibilities of large internet platforms on the content they promote and propagate, a responsible to children and vulnerable groups targeted by hate speech, but also a responsibility to our societies as a whole because the boundary between online and offline is getting And the values we cherish offline should also be protected online. And this is even more important in this new era of generative AI. Now, the World Economic Forum Global Risk Report puts artificial intelligence 
as one of the top potential risks for the next decade. I just feel like the entire cast of characters that's involved with the World Economic Forum is just, they're literally villains that you could pluck out of Bond films. And they just shout this shit at the top of their lungs to try to get everybody to be afraid of what's actually going on so that they can install systems that allow greater and greater control. I'm curious what other people on the stage think about this. You guys agree? Uh, I'm assuming you do, but are there any nuances that you think are interesting and worth diving into there? I think Bitcoiners, maybe we need to create the WTF. Like we could have our world truth forum. We need to have our platform that reveals all of the shenanigans and they, they just want to keep us busy. I don't know. It's, I feel like we're just, we hear the same thing every year from them. Yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to, not to derail the conversation, but if everybody, can you guys hit an emoji if you can hear us? I've been receiving DMs that some people can hear us, some people can't, and it's quite, it would be unfortunate if we were having these conversations and the audience couldn't hear us, but that's how the World Economic Forum's trying to get us, man. They're trying to bring us down <laughs> off this scary platform. Those sons of bitches. Okay, so yeah, we are getting repeated reports that there's audio issues. I'm assuming everybody has tried closing and reopening their app. We're also getting reports that other spaces have had these issues recently. So hang in there. Try drawing the salt circle around yourself while you're using Twitter Spaces. I don't know if y'all remember when Twitter Spaces first came out and it was an absolute shit show. And man, you had to be like facing east and blowing into the cartridge on your phone in order to get it to work at all. I feel like we're in those days again. Anyway, let's keep going. Yeah, we don't have to go too much more into it, but we just see these... This, this type of narrative promoted over and over again, right? You inspire fear in people for whatever the quote-unquote new thing is, whether it's manufactured or it's a real thing that you can get people afraid of, and then you use that fear to get them to allow you to further restrict free speech and conversation. Because if you can control the conversation, if you can control the words that people are using, of course, you can control how they think and feel. And the idea that the internet has been this bastion of free speech, this place where anybody can say anything, the idea that governments, as we head further and further as a global economy towards recession, we enter the sort of first, the fourth turning, those systems of control become even more and more important to the people in power because all they want to do is hold on to that bucking bronco as long as they possibly can. And controlling platforms like Twitter, which I refuse to call X, and everything else is a key part of that strategy. Don't believe it. So just to, yeah. There is a problem, obviously, with abuse on Instagram of and Facebook of teenagers. I guess Instagram, they're not really on Facebook. So when they talk about protecting kids, I think there there is some meat there. But yeah, the way they're going about it is to use fear. I would say that everyone uses fear in their marketing, except people are pretty... Uh, it's just a matter of degree, and people are pretty susceptible to fear and greed. So FOMO, fear, that's used by pretty much everybody. Yeah. That sounds like somebody else is about to say something. No, I was just going to say that. I think it's odd that they continue to mention Twitter. It's Facebook and Instagram and 
TikTok, those platforms, they have the correct checks and balances. But this Twitter place, man, where everybody's just super toxic, it's like, it's just odd that they always continue to put it on that and like how that they could steer the truth and all this type of stuff. It's, I don't think it's, I, I think Twitter is a really the best platform because it allows the most type of dialogue and it's not just photos of you and your buddies and stuff. And I think whenever they post some mis- misinformation or whatever it may be, they get combated. Whereas on these other platforms, it's nothing like that. But that's just my only thing is every time they go up on stage, they're just complaining only about Twitter and nothing else. Yeah, that's interesting. I wonder if, I wonder how much that has to do with, with Elon Musk and his, how he purports to support free speech, even though I feel like he limits it in the same ways that it was limited before on Twitter or something else. But I agree that is an interesting dichotomy. All right. P, I would recommend to mute your Slack because we're getting a lot of, you're a popular guy. Oh, on that shit. All right. And we are getting a lot of people saying that spaces in general is having connection issues and audio issues. That's unfortunate. If you guys can hear us, I appreciate you hanging with us. And if you can't, then still appreciate you in the room. But weird. All right. Let me know if you continue to, to hear shit popping off. Can you hear me now? We got you and no shit is popping off. Good. All right. Let's keep going. I am one of the organizers of Nash BitDevs at Bitcoin Park in Nashville. And one of the things that everybody was super excited about last night during the event was the idea that BlackRock had posted a job rec for a core developer on their career website. Everyone was so excited and was discussing it, whether it meant whether it was a good thing, whether it was a bad thing, whether they were trying to directly affect Bitcoin Core. And then this morning, it turned out that it was, quote unquote, parody. Satire. Which I was disappointed to hear. However, I think that we already see this in the Bitcoin space, which is to say, large companies who want to support the development and maintenance of Bitcoin Core because it aligns with their business interests. Hiring and supporting financially Bitcoin Core developers. Blockstream has done this. There are others. And I think we are headed in that direction. I think that companies like BlackRock will start to actively post that kind of job description in the near future. Um, One of the ETFs that I think actually two of the ETFs that, that were announced are actively supporting Bitcoin development. I forget the names of those two off the top of my head right now but I think that's a huge positive step. What do y'all think? The silence is deafening. You guys are so stunned by my (laughs) wise words. It came up at my Bitcoin meetup as well. And I don't know, the response that people were like sickened by like an idea of a core developer going to work at BlackRock, which I don't know, is that blasphemy? They're at the end of the day, everybody's just somewhat doing what they can, doing greed will take over. And that's what I was getting at earlier in the week of Bitcoin is just the perfect game or the perfect incentives that are aligned. So if you are in greedy, then great. You're on a the playing field that will never change, those kind of things. But I don't know if I would look down upon someone that's going to go become a core developer at BlackRock. They're just trying to do what's best for them. And I'm sure that they would do that eventually. But am I being naive? Like, how do you perceive that as like an OG Bitcoiner? Would that be like, that guy is on the blacklist now, or how would that be perceived? I don't know. I, to be clear, I also share your, or I share the concerns that I think you're mentioning, the idea that will large entities be able to 
influence the direction of Bitcoin in ways that might be counter to what the majority of people would want. And I think that is, I don't think that the incentives of Bitcoin are always perfect. I think that is a possibility, but I think that the larger community has proven very resistant to those kinds of attacks. I'm thinking about the block size war. I'm even thinking about the fact that one of the things we were talking about last night is that it seems like when you're talking about soft forks, that act, the activation method, it seems like it changes every time one is used. And part of the idea is that maybe that is because it makes it very difficult for large entities with lots of money to game those processes. Anyway, my point is, I would not personally want to work for BlackRock, but I wouldn't necessarily shit on someone just because they were getting a paycheck from them. It would depend on what they were trying to implement and what they were pushing forward, or what they were trying to push forward. Yeah. Yeah, so these uh, grants that have been done, as many of us know, are unrestricted. So when you have Van Neck and Bitwise donating to Cordes through Brink and so forth, there's no restrictions on the grants. So the dev can do whatever they want. But my question is, when has a dev actually done something that's against the interests of an OKX, like this Chinese exchange that's allegedly done a lot of wash trading and obviously a digital penny stock casino. BlackRock and entities like that are going to be very against anything that helps self-custody at scale because they make money from custodial Bitcoin. Yep. Yeah, that's a great point. And I also, I agree with you. I don't think that there is a world in which somebody is paying, unless it's going through a third party and they don't even know who the core dev that they're funding is like something like OpenSats or some other system. I think that there's no way that the, that the larger business does not influence what's being worked on, even if it's sort of soft influence. I think it's definitely something to, to be watchful of and concerned about. Yeah. On the other hand, we do need um, more resources for devs. This is uh, widely agreed upon, whether you like uh, someone like Jeremy Rubin or Justin Moon or Luke Dash Jr., they'd all talk about um, not enough engineers, lack of engineering capacity. What has happened in free open source software elsewhere that's highly successful, like Linux, is you have companies like the big tech companies will get together when something's about to break in Linux or they worry something's about to break and they'll just devote a lot of resources, including paying people to do the boring work, but very important work of code review, modularization, and so forth to make sure that Linux, which like Alphabet, Microsoft, and others depend on heavily to make sure that code is secure and stable. Yep, yep. Okay, any other thoughts? Welcome to the stage, Mickey. How's it going? Can you hear us? Yeah, Mickey, were you able to hear us when you were down in the audience? Or can you even hear us now? Are we shouting into the void? We're shouting into the void. Those of you who can hear us, we appreciate you sticking around. We'll just keep talking. Hopefully Twitter will get his shit together. Maybe not. Regarding the Twitter issue, I did uh, contact Marathon. It was saying, hey, man, due to this issue, would you like to, to reschedule? So still hearing about that due to this, because I don't even know if they're going to be able to join, but we will cross that bridge 
here shortly. All right. All right. Sounds good. The next item I wanted to go through is the Biden administration recently unveiled proposed changes to banks' overdraft fees. The Consumer Financial Protection Bureau recently unveiled a highly anticipated rule proposal that is targeting big banks' overdraft fee practices. Apparently, since 2000, American consumers have paid an estimated $280 billion in bank overdraft fees. That's according to the CFPB data set. And Biden is quoted as saying, banks call it a service, I call it exploitation. I completely agree. The reality is if you are wealthy, if you have a significant amount of money in any bank, you do not pay overdraft fees. The absolute worst that happens is you call your bank and say, hey, I don't want that fee. And they retract it because they are willing to do whatever it takes to keep you as a customer of their business. So I, one of the rare instances, I completely agree with the current administration that these fees disproportionately target people who suffer from them the most. I'm curious. What do y'all think? Agree? Disagree? I'm, I don't know if uh, Terrence with two R's could relate, being uh, that he's chilling with BlackRock and all of them. But man, I remember back in the day when I'd get it with those overdraft fees. No, I'm kidding. I'm just trying to take up the role of Dom. But man, back in the day when an overdraft fee would hit, that was like the most heartbreaking thing that could happen. And it was just like the corruption and the bullshit of, hey, you're broke, but now you're extra broke because you don't have enough money in your account. And then how they delay the debit transactions, like you buy your whatever the fuck, and then two days later, that's when you get hit with it, and then you get the overdraft. It's like just preying on the people that don't understand finance to like the most extreme, and it's extremely unethical. And the fact of how much money they make based off of that, I think that's really what opened my eyes. That and a few other things, but I really got on board with how corrupt banks were pretty quick just due to how they take advantage of the people who are poor and getting overdrafted. So I'm thrilled if they can help, but what I would keep my eyes open for is, okay, if they're not making money on their overdraft fees then how, and they're already having issues with other things in the bank, how are they going to get the money another way? It's not like they're just going to sit back and be like, oh, cool, man, now we can't do overdraft fees. There's going to be another way that they're going to get you, and I'd be on the lookout for that. That's how I feel. So just to yeah, take I mean, the other side of that for a second, it's in Bitcoin, there's no overdraft fees, but you obviously just couldn't make your transaction, right? You have to exactly. live within truth. It's it's a ledger. So I part of me, maybe this is too hardcore, just feels it, an overdraft fee might be a lesson for you. Like you need to live within your means. And I'm not saying it needs to be fair. If If someone's overdrafted, they need to be overdrafted regardless of status and wealth and whatnot. But I don't know. It's. I feel like it's a I penalty just, for not being responsible, planning. I think that's, I, yeah, if, if you're looking at like the individual who's living like that, it's just some degenerate 20-year-old. But there's real people with families that like only got $400 in their account, $300 in their account, and they go hit the grocery store, which inflation's already jacking those prices up. And then it's just, it's education, man. It's not like they're trying to live outside their means. They're literally just trying to live. And the fact that instead of just getting a decline, that they even allow you to go under the limit so they can't overdraft you is extremely fucked. Like, why doesn't it just get snapped off? You don't got enough money for that. No. They allow these transaction and tunneling and whatever the hell for these financial jargon, piping, whatever it's called, to fuck people. And that's what I think is happening. It's not like these people are doing it to be... I, sure, there's some kids that are stupid like I was and hitting the overdraft fee because I was trying to buy some good stuff or whatever. But 
I would say like moms and people who are really struggling with three kids, that's who it's affecting more than you think. Yeah, so that's a good point. So maybe like Bitcoin, the transaction just needs to be denied in the first place. Yes, I, I also want to be super clear. I, I will not pretend to be an expert on how these types of regulations would actually affect the free market, but I am not a fan in general of these types of restrictions of restricting the free market. I think the problem here, to your point, Jacob, is that a lot of these practices tend to be predatory, but I don't think that the solution is setting mandatory rules about maximum penalties and things like that. I think the solution is to fix the incentives. And I would agree that, or I certainly lean very heavily towards the idea that if you don't have enough money, your bank should not let you make the purchase unless you go through some other process, perhaps where things are really clearly stated. But then this gets into like credit cards and credit card debt and predatory credit card debt and payday loans, which are like super predatory and fucked up. But uh, I don't know the solution for everything. But I, yeah, I, I hear you all. I think that what the real problem, instead of doing this Band-Aid solution all over the place and over-regulating, is they need to have plain English rules where your contract, whether it's with your bank or whatever, it should be one page in plain English, and they should just say, these are all the fees you might be charged, very simply. If we ever change that, we will need you to sign something that says, I understand my overdraft fees are going from $20 to $60 or whatever it is. You, sh you should require the consumer or something to write that out when they agree to, instead of all these click agree, it's like these terms and conditions or click agree agreements that are 50 pages and buried in there is their right to increase fees at any time and they have fees all over the place that's very opaque and, and uh, unclear to people. That's what makes it not great. So you have, if you're going to be a regulated institution and protected by the law from free market competition, because it's very hard to become a bank, you and I cannot become a bank. It takes many millions of dollars and a lot of lawyers to get that right. If you're going to get that benefit of that from the government, then you have to do plain English with, with the people. That's a great point. I, I think that is a, that is a, a great potential solution or possible solution or improvement on the existing practices. Do those kinds of laws exist? Are there other places where you do have plain English laws? <sighs> yeah, so Elizabeth Warren, back when she didn't suck as bad, but still sucked, she proposed something after the mortgage crisis where you have to have a loan agreement that's one page. Like all the economics are on one page. This is the loan. Your loan interest rate goes up in the last five years, or, or this rate is only a, like a teaser rate for five years of low rates, and then it balloons up to 5x what the rate was, and you have this giant payment at the end. So you're probably going to default because unless you actually make $400,000 a year or whatever, you're, you're not going to be able to afford this based on blah, blah, blah. There are plain English ideas. Things should just be plain English. The lawyer, the bar, the legal profession is just a cartel that protects lawyers. It doesn't protect people. And they come up with these stupid rules. And all the, a lot of the legislators are lobbyists, or, sorry, are lawyers or former lawyers. And they just add complexity on complexity. And so you have this thing where you have regulatory capture and there's laws and regulations all over the place. You're just growing government and growing laws. Interesting. Yeah, I guess the other side of it is radical financial responsibility, which 
Bitcoin is, of course, all about. There's no way that anyone could condense. I was going to say there's no way you could condense Bitcoin or effective custody into a single page document. It's just not possible. Yeah. So all these financial relationships, they're heavily regulated, but they're regulated to the point where the banks and other financial companies benefit, not the people. And you just need kind of some things that are plain English instead of all this complexity. You, you can do these things in one page because they're actually not that complicated unless you are jamming the customer with fees all over the place. There's 2,000 different ways to jam them with fees and extra fees and fines and so forth. Got it. You're saying the solution is to get rid of all the banks, to get rid of the middlemen entirely. <laughs> yeah, sure. And until then, just have a law to replace all the other laws that says, number one, you can't defraud people or mislead people. And then number two, you have to do things in plain English and one page or as few words as necessary. And then you can incentivize that behavior. So you don't have this, these, what it's basically like nobody is, if you're a consumer, you have things to do besides open a bank account. Whereas the bank, their whole job or big part of their job is to get you to open bank accounts and put up with deposits and get you to sign these ridiculous agreements that are 900 pages long with ridiculous fees hidden all over the place. So it's not a level playing field. So that's why you need like something like plain English for now until Bitcoin takes over. Terrence, you should get uh, the banks to describe the fees in memes. That seems like a terrible idea. Terrence would fuck that up entirely. This is the quietest we've ever had you. Are you able to hear us? Or are you just up here to, to collect followers? What's up, man? What are you doing? <laughs> did I miss a did I miss an opening for a Terrence Racquetball reference? My apologies if so. I actually did it for you. I, I got your back. It's the new drinking game. I was just <laughs> I'm just I don't really like it. Some, I'm doing some work this morning listening. Just you fine folks. P what up, Jacob? Mickey, Terrence, Terrence, lowercase, Terrence, uppercase. What's good? Good morning. Good morning. It's good to have you. Great Does anyone have any opinion? <laughs> Thanks for joining. Does anyone have any opinions? I saw that corporate debt defaults have soared 80% in 2023 and apparently could be high again in 2024. That's from the S&P. I don't really have a strong opinion about that, but I'm curious if other people do. What kind of debt defaults? Corporate debt. Does the number of companies that failed to make required payments on their debt totaled 153 for 2023, up from 85 the year before, an increase of 80%. In 2024, we expect further credit deterioration globally, predominantly at the lower end of the rating scale. Is that not the stated goal of quantitative tightening? To is that an accordion Increased debt default? Well, hold on, P. Is that an accordion in the background? Can we identify that? He's doing, he's doing the jig. Baby walking around with a harmonica, man. Come on. That's amazing. Please get him on mic for the rest of the show. Wait, I want to dive into that, though. What do you mean when you said the, that's a stated goal of quantitative easing? Quantitative tightening. Quantitative tightening. Tightening, excuse me. The Fed's explicit stated goal is to blow up the economy. And as an orderly fashion as they can, it's starting to implode, apparently. So mission accomplished, right? 
I don't know. What do we think? Terrence, what does your legal expertise tell us here? <laughs> sure. Not legal advice. So bottom line, totally legal I feel advice. Like there were too many companies that were propped up during the quantitative easing period when money was loose and easy. So we need to go back to a more free market system where rates are neutral and now that things are no longer disaster. And yeah, they, some of these companies should go out of business. I hate to say it. And people can work at company. The people should be helped, not the companies. We should be helping. Government should be for the people, not these companies. So no bailouts, no like quantitative easing and so forth. But people need um, help to get jobs elsewhere. And they shouldn't be at jobs at dead-end companies that are about to blow up because they're just not profitable in a higher rate environment. Do any of these defaults have anything to do with the commercial real estate issues that were that the banks are having on their books and things like that, Terrence? I'm sure there are, yes. For example, if those of you who have worked downtown or in heavy office type settings, you'll have a lot of businesses that depend on that. The lunch, they depend on the business lunches and just other services that people might need throughout the day. So a lot of businesses that are located downtown, such as in San Francisco, Manhattan, they're going to go out of business because there's not enough people, even now, returning to work, right? A lot of people um, are hybrid, so they might go to the office once a week or twice a week or something, but it's definitely not usually five days a week anymore. Got it. Got it. Did you guys see the the news that just broke that VanEck is apparently closing their Bitcoin ETF? The futures one, yes. I would love to know the volume on that. I'm rooting for VanEck because of their intern. I think the intern is hilarious. A lot of you think he's cringe. That probably dates me. But yeah, I'm rooting for VanEck. I hope they make it with their spot Bitcoin ETF. I understand closing the futures one. And I'd love to know the trading volumes on that and how much, how little money they're probably making when they made that decision finally to kill it. So can you elaborate on that? Maybe for the audience, oh, yeah, the difference sure. between yeah, futures-based and uh, spot ETF. Yeah, so futures ETFs, Bitcoin futures is like when you buy something that promises you the price of Bitcoin in the future. So you're paying $100 now so that you'll get something that is $100 worth of Bitcoin in X days. And so that's being priced based on the expectation of Bitcoin going up or down. So it's not real Bitcoin. The spot Bitcoin ETF, you do own real, sorry, the ETF owns real Bitcoin. To put another way, a BlackRock ETF has real Bitcoin. You don't own it. BlackRock owns it. So in the spot Bitcoin ETF, it's better because it has real Bitcoin and that's what people want and it's easier to market. Otherwise, you have to be like, this is a future thing and it's futures are risky. They're derivatives and people are like, oh my God, I don't know what that is. I don't want it. It's like the people are saying, why don't you guys just buy a Canadian ETF? And I'd be like, no one wants to buy a Canadian ETF that's sold out of the back of an igloo by two Eskimos. <laughs> so y- you really want like the Black Rocks and the Vanex of the world to offer a spot Bitcoin ETF with real Bitcoin in it because that's what people want. Even though they 
may know or should know that they can't get real Bitcoin when they redeem. They can only get cash. But at least what you're tracking is the price of real Bitcoin, not some derivative that very few people understand. Got it. Got it. Interesting. So they're closing out the features-based vehicle because they are making... I think lack of demand for the futures. Yeah. Look, it's Wall Street. They'll sell their mom or dad down the street for 10 bucks if they could do it legally, some of these people. But yeah, in that next case, I think it's because the futures Bitcoin ETF was not profitable and is getting smaller probably by the day as people switch to the VanEck, spot Bitcoin VanEck ETF, or maybe something that they trust more like a BlackRock or Fidelity, just because they're bigger names and have more trading volume. So the liquidity is better, meaning you're not going to move the market, even if you're a bigger player. Got it. Got it. I want to welcome Adam Swick to the stage. How's it going, man? Doing well. Surviving the cold, as I'm sure a lot of other folks are, and some miners are as well. How about you guys? Pretty good. Pretty good. Adam is the chief growth officer at Marathon. And yeah, we're super excited to have you, man. Talk about what you guys are doing and up to. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. It's obviously been an exciting year for lots of folks, as you guys were just talking about with the ETF world, but also Marathon doing some exciting things at the end of the year and just closing on a transaction on Monday when it comes to owning some of our first owned sites, which is particularly exciting and excited for 2024, both Bitcoin world as well as marathon specific world. I think we're in for an exciting ride. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to hear more about that. My understanding is that you guys just closed on two Bitcoin mining sites, which brings you up to, I think, 910 megawatts of capacity in total. Yeah, it's been an interesting journey. If you recall, Marathon historically has focused on this asset light model where we did not own sites. And I still very much believe that is the correct thing to do in a bull market under the very simple logic of any dollar not spent on a revenue generating ASIC is a wasted dollar because the ASICs are printing so much money. You want to funnel all of your money into those ASICs. However, if we take a step back and recognize that there's going to be bull markets and bear markets to come, unfortunately, it's this shift that we've had to a portfolio approach when we think about our actual mining portfolio. And so there will be some third party hosted, which has the benefits of rapid deployments and outperforming in bull cycles, as I just mentioned. But we need to add some of these self-hosting, which allows for lower operating costs, obviously, because you don't have the margin of the hoster in there and greater control and arguably outperforms in bear cycles. And so that's the big thing we've added. And exactly that, the transaction was buying some of the sites from Generate Capital. And part of the benefit was, is our machines were actually at those sites. And so we acquired two data centers, one's in uh, Nebraska, one's in Texas, total 390 megawatts. But Marathon miners are 64 of those megawatts. And so it made the process quite seamless, A, thanks to Generate but B, the fact that we're incredibly familiar with these sites and so excited to be stepping in and actually getting a chance to own them. And I think that's going to unlock a lot for Marathon. I'm sure you've heard us talk a lot about investing in technology. This will be a great chance to start to showcase that. Got it. One thing I forgot to say at the top is Marathon is, of course, one of our main sponsors of Pacific Bitcoin and also of Cafe Bitcoin. So I wanted to make that clear. And thank you guys for that. 
you guys have always been super supportive of the Bitcoin space, Bitcoin education, and contributing back to everyone's education yeah. and growth. Happy to. Uh, Long-time listener, uh, second-time speaker. So look forward (laughs) to many more future listening sessions because arguably those are more fun. Adam, were you and I on the news desk at the Miami conference together? This does ring a bell, indeed. Yeah, we've got to stop calling it the Miami conference. To your point, in terms of now that we're switching cities, I can't call it Bitcoin by Miami anymore. But yes, (laughs) we were down there together. Yeah, you were great. You were very funny. I talked about defecating on myself in excitement. And yes. eating shoe leather and orange pilling family members. Yes, it was a, yeah, it was a dog great conversation. Food came up. Where yes, of course. Very standard Bitcoin conversations. Absolutely. For those that may be confused, I publicly ate dog food in order to stack more sats because my body is a shitcoin and the only thing that matters is getting more Bitcoin for future generations and everything else. And you can but, only uh, imagine how seamlessly that transitioned into the rest of the conversation as, again, the rest of the panel kind of jaws hit the table. And, and, and we all started to question our own commitment to Bitcoin once you're in yours. Yes, I think, as I said then, everyone should. you got to look in the mirror every morning and ask yourself, am I doing everything I can for Bitcoin? And I think for most people, the answer is not enough. I agree with that. Just dog food hasn't come across my plate yet. Yet. It sounds like you're open to it. Next time we, we hang out, I'll bring some for you. <laughs> Looking forward to it. <laughs> but diving back into it, uh, you guys are sitting just below $18 in terms of share price. The Bitcoin ETFs, while extremely exciting, there's been this interesting rotation in terms of investment in the Bitcoin space. Fred Thiel, obviously the CEO of Marathon, was on CNBC last week discussing sort of how investors are thinking about mining companies versus the spot Bitcoin ETF. And he was talking about how things are going to rebalance and come back to normal once things settle in the next month to 45 days. I'm curious if you have any thoughts on that or want to elaborate on that at all. Yeah. No, it's interesting. In short, people are learning. And I think that's the biggest excitement is it's very easy to have sitting here for, you know, what, 10 years waiting for this ETF and assume that once it's approved, the world will just get it. But unfortunately, that's not the case. Instead, it is now an option on the menu that institutional investors, regular retail investors can now evaluate. And at least having it as an option is a big first step. So I think that's what we're seeing now, both in regards to Bitcoin price and ETF and Bitcoin mining stocks. There was a lot of questions and hypotheses around, does an ETF approval help Bitcoin mining stocks? Does it hurt Bitcoin mining stocks? And I think the, regardless of what that answer is, I think long-term it helps because it means people are going to start to give Bitcoin a fair shot and try to understand it and its merits, uh, which is then going to lead them to investigating a lot of these public miners and understanding what they do, understanding the old adage of buying the gold miners rather than the gold itself, because the miners obviously have a somewhat fixed price of production. And so you're still exposed to the spot price of Bitcoin but arguably in a better way because of that aspect and start to understand how the miners are differentiating. I think you know, a couple of years ago, being a public Bitcoin miner was just the goal of itself. And now there are lots. And so folks are trying to look and say, okay, how can we differentiate? And a lot of different approaches out there. And I think marathons are around this portfolio approach to mining. You see us around the globe in the UAE and Paraguay across the United States. You see us both 
at hosted sites and at owned sites now. And you see us investing heavily in technology. And the good news is I think we'll have more chances to tell that story to more people, retail and institutional, as opposed to a year ago, uh, there wasn't many people that wanted to listen to that story because again, Bitcoin just wasn't on their radar. And so want to avoid any knee jerk reactions here on what are we on fourth, fifth day of ETF trading. And of course, interesting to see data and where everything is moving, but i just like to remind everyone to zoom out and remember this is a major victory in terms of ETF approval, but just another step on the, the long journey. Yep. Yep, I hear you. Marshall, I want to welcome you to the stage. It's been a while. How's it going, man? How's it going, Pete? <clears throat> no, I was just want to give Adam props. I talked to a lot of guys at JP Morgan and when they expanded their coverage. And the real only knock was that you guys hadn't purchased your own or running your own infrastructure. And now that you guys have closed the deal, I think the street anyway might uh, look more favorably upon that. Yeah, that's the hope. And again, time will tell. But I think you know, internally, you know, to grace, gr- grossly oversimplify and undercredit a lot of the work that's been done is we've been watching and learning from the best of the best around around the globe. And so rather than having to commit four years ago to start building our own site and basically being locked into whatever you built then, we've had the benefit of watching and learning what ASIC types work, what firmwares work, what cooling technologies work, and, and grabbing from the best. And I feel like, A, our ops team has learned from the best from around the world. And again, evaluation of those technologies and a lot of the tech investments we've done internally, whether that be developing our own firmware, developing our own cooling technologies. It's very exciting to be at the standpoint where I feel like, what, two years ago, we decided, okay, we need our own lab. And so we created a very small lab to start tinkering with things. But that lab needs to be bigger now. And so obviously, it's not a 390 megawatt lab, but we need megawatts to test this stuff because it's working. (laughs) It's, It's the short answer. And so no longer can we test it with one miner in a back room. We need to test this kind of at industrial scale with all plans of, of rolling it out across the uh, entire fleet. And so it's awesome to be able to now stretch and show off those ops muscles we've been building and even more awesome to be able to stretch and show off some of those tech things that we've been working on. Again, pool firmware cooling and so much more excitement to come. Got it. Got it. I want to ask about the perception of mining you mentioned the one of the values or one of the things that's great about these ETFs launching is that it helps to legitimize bitcoin in the eyes of everyday people and one of the ways that we see bitcoin being attacked constantly is on the environmental the quote unquote environmental side and mining in particular tends to be unfairly and completely inaccurately in my opinion be portrayed on that axis So there's this recent uh, KPMG report that was released about Bitcoin becoming the most ESG asset. And I wanted to get your guys' thoughts on that report specifically about the potential shifting of the Bitcoin and the environment narrative, how that will be perceived in 2024 versus the past couple of years. What do you think, Adam? Yeah, great question. And again, I think it's all about learning is it's very easy on the surface level to first learn about mining and have this knee-jerk reaction of, 
okay, consuming large amounts of power, this seems anything in large quantities were taught as bad. And so you have this knee-jerk reaction to gluttony. Okay, this must be a bad thing. But then when you actually peel back the layers and start to understand what's going here, it becomes incredibly evident that it's super good for the energy market and as well as the S and the G. But focusing big on the E, I feel, is where it, it is criticized the most. And I can truly say we I have never had a conversation about it's been all about these renewable producers reaching out to Marathon to try to partner. And so that is what our days are filled with, is trying to monetize landfills, trying to be the baseload consumers for wind, solar, nuclear, trying to help balance grids across an entire country. Those are the things we're talking about. And it came to a head even now with this cold ripping across the country is a lot of concern you know, as utilities reach out to citizens and say, hey, we're going to be short on electricity. Please try to limit your electricity. The criticism really ramps up as all of these individuals start to point and say, hey, what about this Bitcoin mine, but you, you have to understand we're the first ones to react. A, out of doing the right thing because we want to keep all of our partners happy, but B, just from an economic incentive. You know, when power is in short supply, we're the first ones to turn off. And we're very pleased to do so. And I think that's how I summarize it for people is we are very happy to help be that consumer of last resort, turning on, turning off to help balance things. But to be clear, we, we do that in exchange for a lower power price. But that's the trade-off that we are happy to make. And I it, it just makes sense to me that everybody should want to make that partnership with a Bitcoin miner in terms of take the energy when I take the unused energy when there's no one else, give it back when I ask you to. And sure, I'm happy to give it to you for slightly less because of that variability. Me sitting in my house. I would not want to make that change, that trade-off. I do not want the electrical utility company to give me cheap electricity for the trade-off of they're going to tell me when to turn on and off my main breaker. But Bitcoin mining is uniquely suited to do that. And it's this concept that it's hard to wrap your head around. And again, you have to get below that surface level reaction to start understanding these second order implications. And I hope that, again, ETF approval legitimacy causes more people to ask the second order questions rather than just the surface level. I want to give a Dom, you got your hand raised. What I don't do want to direct. I do have an energy question um, for Adam, but it's not directly on a marathon. So I'll save it for the end. Okay. I'll say, I think you're being, I agree with everything you said, Adam, except for, I think you're being very charitable to people. I think that we should be able to hold people accountable for asking or probing a little bit deeper rather than just being like energy use bad, because the reality is for whatever reason, people do not have any problem with things that use massive amounts of energy around them every day. When you tell people that, the, when you discuss the amount of energy that Christmas lights use during Christmas or that clothes dryers use or that AI in its entirety uses, nobody bats an eye. But for whatever reason, and I don't personally understand it, the second you mention Bitcoin mining, people lose their fucking minds. Yeah. And I think it's very weird. I don't know. Yeah. And I don't know why if it's, again, the just energy use is the first thing that has started to come up with Bitcoin mines. So they're inexplicably tied as opposed to a lot of these other things where, uh, again, I, someone that talks about energy all the time, I could not tell you how much electricity my dryer uses, but I can tell you how much a Bitcoin miner uses. And 
So obviously for the everyday person that's not living and breathing Bitcoin, I understand it's frustrating, but on the other hand, I get it, I think. And if nothing else, I've learned that it's good for me to sit for an hour feeling super frustrated every week and mad that they don't get it. But after that hour of being mad and at home, I have to spend the rest of the week, the other however many hours, again, trying to educate and explain and point out the facts because there's no persuasion needed. It's just explaining the facts. And so that's the very nice part is this isn't, there's no convincing because again, facts are on our side. Marshall, I'm curious if you have any thoughts on that, just on ESG narratives in general, environmental Yeah, I would say in general, my thoughts are not well suited for a public forum of (laughs) this nature. (laughs) Exactly. That's the hour that I have by myself every day, as I just mentioned. (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. Look, what I will say is I haven't met a single Bitcoiner that doesn't want things that this initiative in general is trying to like perpetuate. People want to work in a place that's like fair. I'm an outdoorsman. I want to go be able to hunt and fish in non-polluted places. I don't think anybody's in this ecosystem is against any of those things. It's the fact that it's being used as a whip in order to get you to do certain things. I think that's where the hang-up is, and I'll just leave it at that. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, Dom, you want to throw your uh, your question out there? Yeah, I was just going to say I saw recently in the news BlackRock uh, acquired Global Infrastructure Partners, and I noticed they had a massive energy portfolio. Not saying by any means that there's any plan for mining, but it was interesting seeing that acquisition and just curious if there's been any discussion about it at the minor level or if it's not really of any interest right now. Yeah, it's definitely, so speaking for myself, definitely something we were aware of. And again, that headline we were intrigued to see because... What are our constraints? Capital is always a constraint to growth. But at some point, Bitcoin price behaves and becomes less of a constraint. But suddenly the constraint becomes the energy side of things. If there are energy partners that just won't even take a first meeting with you, that's going to limit your growth and limit the ability to Bitcoin mine. And I don't just mean plug these miners in 24-7. I mean everything from plugging these things intermittently at solar farms, using only the clipped energy, putting them at hydro dams that might only run in wet seasons and not dry seasons. It's like really try to optimize every single electron. You at least have to start to have a conversation. And so from my perspective, Marathon has to be the best partner out there, period. We have to be known as great to work with, innovative to work with, et cetera to try to attract exactly those type of people that you just mentioned. And it's very easy. Unfortunately, what I've seen is it's very easy for us to put together hypothetical case studies and say, look how awesome this could be. But just given the newness of Bitcoin, given, unfortunately, a lot of the headlines in the mainstream media, hypotheticals don't work. And so instead, what we're focused on is really demonstrated case studies to say, This isn't hypothetical anymore on this page. We did this, whether that be mining on landfills or whether that be, again, working with sovereign wealth funds on the other side of the world. That makes a big difference for some of these more traditional legacy institutions. And I hope they're watching and I hope they're looking at these case studies and looking at, again, the real data facts 
to then reach out and 10 years from now, if batteries become cheaper, et cetera, et cetera. I think a lot of the energy folks will say that any energy generating asset will also have a, a battery on site. Wind farms will have batteries, et cetera, et cetera. What I think they're missing and what I believe is that every energy generation site in the future should have batteries and Bitcoin miners. And it should be some elegant algorithm, maybe AI-ish, where as these electrons are being generated, they are being optimized and either being sent to the grid, sent to the battery, or sent to the Bitcoin miner. And at times, it's going to flow between batteries and Bitcoin miners. At times, it's going to flow between grid and Bitcoin miners. And all those different permutations of kind of those three things. But if you had those three things together, generation, or I guess four, generation, grid connection, batteries, and Bitcoin miners, that's powerful. What do you think the next most exciting thing that's happening in the ASIC development spaces? Are there any any yeah. novel things that are being explored that you're excited about? It's funny. I was just joking about this the other day with someone, and this is a side note, but someone answers the question. But for the longest time, obviously, we've been trying to keep our ASICs cool because they run more efficient and they produce heat and it's okay. The heat's a bad thing. How do we minimize heat so we can keep these running longer, stronger, harder? But now as we've started to investigate a lot of these heat reuse applications, whether that be heating greenhouses, heating shrimp farms, district heating, things like that, it's funny, it's turned on our head. I felt like we spent you know, many years saying, how do we make these cold? And now we're going back to how do we make these as hot as possible? And so that's something interesting in terms of no longer do we want to say it okay, this ASIC chip maxes out at this temp. We are saying, all right, we want it to operate higher and we want it to make water as hot as possible because that is something a lot of people demand. And so that's one, again, super random answer there. Yeah. Wait, what is the temperature that ASICs currently max out at? I think a lot of our, I, I, I want to say water, and somebody else correct me if I'm wrong. I want to say the number I have in the top of my head is we can get water to around 120 or 130 degrees Fahrenheit. Interesting, got it. But you want to be able to like ideally use it to drive steam turbines or something like that, or just heat, provide hot water for homes or something? Yeah, if we can drive steam turbines, then we unlock the infinite energy thing. <laughs> so I don't know if we'll, <laughs> we'll ever get there. But as close fair as enough, fair. every application out there has different ideal heats. And so being able to hotter water is generally, it's just funny because we talk to these different heat reuse partners and they're like, we want it as hot as possible. And we're on the other side being like, oh, we want, it as, we want these miners as cold as possible. And so that's, a new conundrum we're working through, which also then deals with the infrastructure itself in terms of if you're doing immersion cooling of the miners or hydro cooled of the miners and what's actually optimal there. And so it's, I think the, the short answer to your question is more optionality. Again, we used to just have air cooled, then suddenly we had air cooled and immersion, then we added hydro. And it's going to be fun to balance, again, assume you're drawing power from some biodigester, anaerobic digester. Maybe that speaks in whatever location you're in. Maybe a certain type of miner, certain type of cooling, air, hydro, immersion is optimal. But say that location is also linked up to a greenhouse that it's trying to heat. There's probably a different optimal answer for the greenhouse in terms of the greenhouse would prefer hydro, immersion, or air, versus you, the miner sitting in the middle, probably have your preference for hydro, immersion of air. And so it's suddenly now much more interesting in terms of trying to balance all these things when in the past we just used to run the model and say what makes the most money. 
suddenly now it's more interesting because if the greenhouse is paying you and the greenhouse per- prefers, make it up, hydro, suddenly that changes our model that said, make it up, immersion is the best answer. And so I think ASIC development in closely linked to a cooling form factor is going to have to adapt to these things. And no longer are the shoe boxes going to be the only form factor designed for these ASICs. And then last comment, and I can unlock a lot of things in my head, is it's interesting now that having's approaching, so I don't know if demand is backing off for these ASICs, but it seems like a lot of people are still placing big orders, still continuing to grow. Obviously, Marathon's still focused on growth and purchasing more ASICs, which link this all back to the foundries that are actually making the chips. And obviously, I think the foundries are a little dubious of Bitcoin miners. Put very simply, having experienced in the past a lot of Bitcoin miners making orders and then bailing on those orders, if the market tanks and the foundries, Mm. what the heck, we can't rely on you as an industry. But if more orders are being placed more reliably, that'll get us in better graces of the foundries, which unlocks better technology, better partnership there, which just flows through. I don't know. So there's a bunch of random thoughts between heat reuse, making things hot, more flexibility and a better relationship in the eyes of the founders. Good stuff. I appreciate it. We're, we're drawing to a close. So I want to ask if people want to know more about what you guys are doing, where can they check you out? Where can they find you? Yeah. On the main website is mara.com, which is just our kicker, M-A-R-A at, at mara.com. Sorry. And then looking up our Twitter handle or X handle, is at Marathon DH, stands for Marathon Digital Holdings. So you can find us there. And then myself, you can find me on Twitter or X. My handle's at Swick Talk. My last name, S-W-I-C-K-T-A-L-K. Reach out to us on any of those platforms. We are pretty active on social media. We read a lot of things. And so all of your thoughts, many criticisms that are often lobbed over those platforms, as well as ideas are all reviewed. And so please keep those coming to Marathon as a whole or myself, because uh, as in this as this space, one person in a garage sometimes comes up with a crazy, awesome idea that deserves to be properly evaluated and scaled quickly. And that, that has happened in the past. And in short, let me know the crazy ideas so that we can try to make them work. Awesome. Thank you again so much for joining us. And uh, yeah, I want to go around to everybody else. If there's anything you want to say to close out the show, and then we'll wrap it up from there. Dom, you want to you want to say anything? I was just going to say, Adam, I have no shortage ever of crazy, worthless ideas, but I did ping you on a DM, California related, because I'm working on something, and have spoken with regulators in the past. Would love to connect. That's it. Let's do it. Awesome, Terrence. Anything you want to? No, I just wanted to thank Adam. It was great listening to you. I met my first three or four marathon executives at Pacific Bitcoin this last year, and we had a lot of fun. They were great guys. It doesn't surprise me that you guys run a great company. I'm always rooting for you guys. And also, just remember, Bitcoin has no overdraft fees. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) Thank you all so much for joining us. I want to remind everybody to subscribe to Swan on Twitter. Check us out on YouTube at Swan Bitcoin. We put out a lot of great stuff every day. If you have not already, get your tickets for Pacific Bitcoin. It is an incredible conference. It's my favorite one. And I don't just say that because I work here. I've been to a ton of them. Yeah, it's great. You won't be disappointed. 
All right, my friends, we will see you here tomorrow. Same time, same place. Until then, stay classy. Adios. Adios.